Six Figure Developer Podcast, the podcast where we talk about new and exciting technologies, professional development, clean code, career advancement, and more. I'm John Calloway. I'm Clayton Hunt. And I'm John Ash. With us today is Guy Royce. Guy works for Redis Labs as a developer advocate. Combining his decades of experience in writing software with a passion for sharing what he has learned, Guy helps others build great software. Welcome, Guy. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I don't know if I help others about great software, but, uh, you know, as I get older, maybe I'm just helping them write mediocre software or fair to middling software. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, before we get into the sort of the meat of things, would you give our listeners maybe a little introduction to yourself? Uh, you know, tell them how you got started in the industry. Yeah, uh, there's sort of like two creation myths uh, in my career because <laughs> I, I started out with one career and then I moved on to another career and they're not, they're not like radically different careers. It's not like I started out as like, you know, a book binder and then I became a software developer or something like that. Um, I started out as a uh, software developer, um, after I graduated from college in 1994. Uh, I'm actually one of those weirdos that's, uh, knew what he wanted to do when he grew up. Hmm. Like I was in, I remember in the eighties learning about computers and I, uh, I read my, I read a book on computer programming and I said, I'm going to be a computer programmer when I grow up. <laughs> and then I pursued that and I uh, went to college and studied everything and then got a job writing COBOL of all things. It was on DOS. So it wasn't completely backwards. Backwards is uncharitable. Actually, it wasn't completely, <laughs> uh, dated. I, I didn't like, you know, graduate. I wasn't, I never worked on the mainframe. Right. Uh, and so then I, you know, I started a career as developer and I, I quickly went from COBOL to working on other languages. And I, I, I spent a lot of time in the Microsoft stack and I spent a lot of time in the Java stack and uh, I've spent a lot of time in the JavaScript stack. And about a few years ago, uh, well, about 10, about, about 10, 15 ish years ago, uh, I started getting interested in uh, speaking in communities and, and uh, I started working in consulting, uh, running meetups, uh, that kind of stuff. And that attracted the attention of a startup uh, here in Columbus, Ohio, where I live. And they wanted me to be a developer advocate uh, for their their small machine learning startup. And so I took the job because uh, it sounded just cool as hell. <laughs> and uh, and then that turned into, uh, that company got acquired and that turned into a uh, job as a developer advocate at Redis Labs. And so there's sort of a, I did all this community stuff just because it was fun. Well, just kind of like we're doing here tonight, right? And um, that got the attention of someone and then launched a, an accidental career that I didn't even think I'd want to pursue. And now I'm a developer advocate instead. And so uh, now I talk about code instead of writing code. <laughs> Actually, I do write code, but, you know, I, I'm not writing production code. I'm uh, writing sample code, sometimes working on uh, open source libraries, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So what's that like, uh, developer advocate? I mean, what what uh, do you really like about it? Is there anything that you don't like about that? Overall, I mostly like it. I mean, it's a job, right? I'm, I'm being paid. <laughs> uh, I'm being paid for a reason because there are aspects to any job that you're like, less fun, right? Sure. Um, but overall, um, the work is really satisfying and there's a wide variety of things I do. So I'm making video content I, you know, I'll write blog posts. I'll, um, I'll work on open source projects. I'll create sample code. I'll build presentations. I'll go to events. Um, I, I run our discord server for Redis, which is at Redis or uh, discord.gg slash Redis. If you want to join <laughs> <laughs> shameless plug mode ending. Um, but so I'm, I'm the admin for the Discord server. 
And so it's it's a community stuff and all that kind of stuff. But the thing that I like best about it is, is all these things tend to be focused around people. Mm-hmm. And so uh, Discord is about building community and interacting with with the community and interacting with those people. Going out and speaking at events and giving talks is about people. Making videos is about interacting with the community and t- helping teach people. And so there's a, there's always a people aspect to it. Whereas, in, you know, I mean, there's always a people aspect in engineering too, but it's more layers removed. And so that's what I like about it. Now, and one of the downsides is, is like, hey, we need you to write a blog post about topic that you're not very excited about. <laughs> that happens, right? <laughs> or topic that could be um, controversial in the community. And so that, that's, that's always stressful. Right. Uh, but for the most part, you know, th- those are the exception, not the rule. So it's, it's actually a thoroughly fun job. Working at Redis Labs and you have, I'm sure, quite a bit of knowledge about Redis and w- what Redis is. Uh, I would say that my early experience with what Redis is, is something for cash. Is that accurate? Is that fair? What is the, the elevator pitch for using something like Redis? So that's two questions, which is totally cool. Actually, that was my first impression when I looked at Redis too. I actually got the job at Redis Labs because uh, when I was at, uh, at a previous employer, uh, someone had seen me give a talk, um, and they had um, they, you know, I had done a Dungeons and Dragons themed machine learning talk, and his uh, response to me uh, was he'd seen me talk, and I spoke to him afterwards, but I forgot because I you meet a lot of people when you're on the road like that, and I. Uh, but then I he messaged me and said, uh, anyone that can combine Dungeons and Dragons and machine learning has a place on my team. (laughs) (laughs) And so, um, so I'm like, okay, I hadn't used Redis. I was up before I was doing machine learning. I was doing a lot of front end development. And so it didn't come up and then I was doing machine learning stuff. And so it didn't come up. And so I dug into what Redis was and I'm like, Oh, it looks like a cache. And that was my first impression as well. And it makes a fantastic cache. It's a, it's a big, data structure server in memory that is served up over TCP. So, hey, I want, I want to have a hash. I want to have a, a set. I want to have a list. I just want to have a string, which are really blobs. They're not really strings. They're blobs. And then I want to be able to access that over a network. Mm-hmm. And uh, that would that, that makes a fantastic cache, but it's it actually can be persisted as well. And so our sort of our elevator pitches is, is Redis is an in-memory NoSQL database. Uh, that's that's sort of our one-line description of it. Of course, it can be a cache as well. Um, my first blog post I wrote uh, for the, the blog at Redis Labs was uh, sort of a, an initial impression. And um, I, I came to the conclusion that it's it's actually both. I, I actually think that's what's cool about it is that it has the performance characteristics of a cache, but you can also use it as a database. And so it's like, you know, it, it's like that old Saturday Night Live bit. You know, it's a, it's a floor wax and a dessert topping, or it's a floor <laughs> polish and a dessert topping, right? Uh, <laughs> It does both of those things. Uh, they're not mutually. You can use it for either or, but it, it does both. So we've covered what Redis is. Are there things that people use Redis for that they're abusing it, that it shouldn't be used for that, or it's, it was never meant to be a solution for? Well, I, I think we can safely say it's not a relational database. So there's certain types, there's certain ways of uh, thinking about how you store your data that aren't suitable to Redis. When you start thinking about relational databases, you always think about denormalizing that data and eliminating redundancy, or I'm sorry, rather normalizing that data. In Redis, lots of times uh, to get the performance, uh, you need to denormalize it. So it's like, it's okay that you have duplication in your data because uh, that makes it faster. And and because of the nature of how Redis stores things, that works really well. And so I I think that's uh, one thing that Redis isn't good at is uh, 
storing like highly normalized, don't repeat yourself kind of thing. You can do that. It works. But uh, you will get better performance and a better experience if you uh, uh, allow yourself to experience denormalized data. And that's an architectural decision, of course, depending on what you're doing. Sometimes that doesn't matter. They're actually a fun fact or a a fun tidbit. Like Redis has modules that you can plug into it to sort of extend it and add new capabilities. And one of the modules is a um, basically someone's taken SQLite and made it a Redis module. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and so it's like you know so you can put, you can actually put a relational database inside of your redis uh, <laughs> i don't know if i recommend this or not i haven't played with it but i, I there's just a there's a delightful perversion in that <laughs> <laughs> so uh, i'm kind of curious um with it being an M- in memory and being a database i mean i guess the one thing that i think stuff? about yeah how do we how do you lose <laughs> not lose your your data oh uh, there's a couple ways to do that um one is is that um, you can do regular snapshots. There's an RDB file. You can say, hey, every so many changes or every so many minutes or so much change in, in bytes, uh, r- take a snapshot and write it out to disk. And it'll fork a process and write it out to disk. Now, that gives you a window in which you could lose data. Mm-hmm. Right? Because, you know, it's like, well, if I do that every five minutes, I could lose five minutes of data. That might be acceptable depending on your, your, on your needs. And so that's the decision you can make. Uh, there's also an append-only file, which is sort of like a transaction log that you can create, which will write out transactions. It'll buffer them and write them out periodically as well. You can have it write out every single transaction as it comes in, but as soon as you do that, you lose the performance benefits of it being in memory. Right. So there's always that window where something can happen, where something can fail. The way you mitigate that is you use some sort of high availability or clustering solution. Uh, you, know, you can do that with uh, open source Redis has Sentinel which creates a, a primary and several replicas to back that up. Even that has a window where if the primary goes down, it could have data that hasn't been synced up to the other ones yet. So there's, there's always a window, right? The cap theorem will always <laughs> grab you and, 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 and bind you. Clustering will, uh, will allow you to do the similar thing. Um, Redis Enterprise, uh, the cloud-based solution, also solves these problems by building clusters that are hidden behind a gateway. It makes it easier to talk to from a client point of view. Uh, but it achieves the same effect. Those are ways you can mitigate that. By having redundancy across them, you can shorten that window. The window is always going to be there because it's, let's see, cap theorem is consistency, availability, and partition tolerance, right? Partition tolerance is just always the thing you have to have because it's networked. (laughs) (laughs) And so then if you have a network split, it's the question is, is do you want it to be consistent or do you want it to be available? Hmm. And Redis chooses available. And then you can lose the consistency because of that. Ultimately, all databases have to make this trade-off. Literally, the only thing that I've done with Redis is kind of like get key and or read key and write key or whatever the commands are. I can't remember off the top of my head. But yeah, yeah, yeah. That's literally the only thing I've done. On that, a couple questions like how how big? That's probably the wrong question to ask. But how big of a um, how big of a record can you shove into? a single Redis key, like SQL, SQLite database. Is that? <laughs> yeah, actually that is how, that is how it works. It is a SQLite database is stored in a single key. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I should know this number and I could Google it really quick and, and then uh, come out smart, but everyone would hear the keyboard. Uh, but it's, it's enormous. It's more than you'll care to. And that's a good idea. Uh, it depends on what you're doing. Uh, generally. No. Um, the keys themselves actually can be equally large. So the key itself could be, you know, you can make a key that's like 16 megabytes if you wanted to. You could, you could have the key be an image 
right? It could be the bytes of an image. That's awesome. It's just QR code, all the keys. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and I mean, the getting set, it's called the string data structure, but it's really a blob because you can store binary data in there and the keys themselves can be binary data as well. So it, it doesn't really care. Okay, that's that's cool. So what is the quick start way to go to get Redis going? Like how how quickly can it be done? Are there are there best practices for getting Redis up and running in your application? Okay, so I'm going to say the, the the corporate shield piece first and then I'm going to talk about the other ones too. <laughs> so, uh obviously an easy way to get up and running is if you use a Redis cloud, enterprise cloud you can just go sign up. You can get a free 30 megabyte database, which isn't very big, honestly, uh, but it's something you can play with. And then it's like dollars a month to get larger ones. Um, so it's, they're not very expensive. So that's a quick, easy way to get it up and running. You just no hosting, no nothing. You just have an endpoint. You connect to it. Right um, now uh, that's in, in a cloud solution. So if you're running something locally on your computer, then there's lag there. And but if you're in that same cloud, if you're using AWS or if you're using uh, Azure, or if you're using uh, GCP, then you just pick a Redis instance that's in there, and then you get the the latency of being on that same provider. So that's obviously the easiest way to get up and running. Um, and I, I do that for uh, things sometimes, but I often don't want to have to rely on a network. Like if I'm at a conference giving a talk, I don't want to rely on the network actually working at a conference. And so uh, the other easy way to get it up and running is there's a series of Docker images mm. uh, that you can very quickly get a Redis instance up and running. Um and so I usually use one called Redis Mod. So there's, there's just one called Redis, and that'll work. But Redis Mod has Redis with several popular modules for doing things like um, graph databases and uh, probabilistic data structures and, um, you know, a, 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 even turn Redis into an AI uh, inference engine. So there's a lot of those that you can play with as well. Uh, time Series is another good one in there, Time Series and... Um, uh, what's what's the other one I'm I'm thinking of? I, I, there's six of them. I know there's six of them that are in there. I can't remember off the top of my head. Uh, and so that's another easy way to get that up and running is just use Docker. The other the third way is you can just um, download and install it from source. So, so I've I've built it from source many times. It's pretty easy on a Mac. It's pretty easy on Linux. It will not work at all on Windows. <laughs> um, Fantastic, because, because it uses fork in the code, and Windows doesn't have an equivalent to that. So there's not a Windows code base for Redis. If you want to do it on Windows, uh, I, I've, when I need to run Redis on Windows, I just use a Windows subsystem for Linux and install Ubuntu. The modules that you mentioned, um, like I said, I've, 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 I've used the, uh, the base uh, Redis Docker image for local development. And then once it gets deployed, it's whatever somebody else has set up that I don't know what we're yeah. using. But um, <laughs> <laughs> for the, uh, what about the, the modules? How, how do you actually use those in... Or, or if you if you found a module and you wanted to apply it to a Redis instance that you were playing with, how do you actually do that? So they're, they're actually just um, .so files. And so you can download the code and compile them um, and then um, deploy that .so file alongside your Redis. And then you can modify your Redis config to point to that file. You can also issue Redis commands and say, load this module from this location on your file system. So you, you can do that as well. Um, but there's Docker images that do that all. When I'm working with modules, I almost invariably use the Docker images uh, to do that because uh, it's just all configured and ready to go. It's a lot easier. But if you if you do you know if you want to do that, if you want to do it the hard way, in essence, right? That's sort of the hard way. The uh, other option is, um, or it's worth noting, 
that you can deploy, uh, you can write your own modules. I mean, it's just a standard. So anyone can write a module. And so if you had specific stuff you wanted to put into Redis, you could, you know, build a module that like gave, it was a, you know, a dice, a dice roller or something like that, because, because I play D and D. So I have to bring <laughs> dice into it. Right. Uh, <laughs> uh, or that you could create new data types that for whatever you need. Okay. So I've got my AD and D uh, book out and I've created a Redis module for the random campaign generation or random campaign hook. Okay. Can I use that on Redis Enterprise? Like if I'm if I'm paying my dollars a month? Uh, no, actually you can't. Uh, the uh, Redis Enterprise only comes with this, uh, the six modules that Redis Labs built. Uh, so you, you can't, actually it doesn't come with all six of them. There's two that aren't available yet. Uh, Redis Gears and Redis AI. And uh, the reason those aren't available yet and we're working on it is because uh, Redis Gears lets you run arbitrary Python code in Redis. You know, let's make sure we have that properly sandboxed and be really, yeah. <laughs> really sure before we run it. So we're working on that, right? It's just, that's harder than adding a couple of new data structures. Right? <laughs> um, and then Redis AI is a similar problem where it allow you to deploy models, uh, AI models, TensorFlow models, uh, or Onyx models or PyTorch models. And those models could also do arbitrary things if you're not careful. And so th there's an extra layer of care being put to figuring out how to do that uh, with the best security. Has, has there been any talk of, of running custom modules, like if they get that sandbox thing figured out? I think that's a really interesting idea. And uh, I would like to see that. I think that would be really cool. Uh, I don't know that it's really on anyone's radar. I haven't seen it on any product roadmaps. Uh, not that I could like reveal all the product roadmap details anyhow, but you know. <laughs> uh, but I'm not aware of anyone doing talking about that capability. I think that's a really interesting idea, though. If I did go out of my way to create a module, which, I mean, it seems like the community has, it'd be nice to be able to use those in the enterprise offering that Redis has. Yeah, yeah, that, that would be very nice. What are some of the bad practices that people might use and then maybe kind of contrast those with sort of what should they be doing? There's a, there's a certain set of Redis commands that are, uh, um, that are there, but uh, you almost never want to do them in production. Okay. The, probably the most infamous one I, obviously there's a command called flush all and flush DB. <laughs> and what that does is deletes everything. <laughs> so Redis has this idea of separate databases within it. And this is, this is an idea that the creator of Redis Salvatore came up with and then kind of regretted creating, but you can have like 16 separate databases. You can just specify database number. And it's like, it's like, it's like little segmented versions. And so flush DB flushes a particular database. Flush all flushes all of the databases. Um, those are obviously dangerous commands to run in production. Um, so don't do that. But um, <laughs> the, probably the most abusive one in production is keys. Mm. And the, the bad thing is, is in dev, you get in the habit of doing this all the time. You type key space star, and it will give you a list of all the keys in your data set, in your database. And, in, and internally, a database is a big hash table, and it's going to walk that hash table and find every single key and spit it out for you. And so keys is a big O of N operation. So it's, it's a length of time equal to the number of keys you have. Now, if you have 20 keys, that's not a big deal. If you have a million keys, that's a really big deal. <laughs> uh, the other thing about Redis, and the reason this is a big deal, is that Redis is single-threaded. So there's just one big thread. I mean, there are a few edge cases where there's separate processes and threads, but the, the, the entire Redis data structure, the entire Redis database, and everything in memory is by, is managed by one thread. And so if you're busy doing keys and returning a million records, nobody else can do anything else 
to that Redis database. Huh. And so it locks it for everyone. So if, they, if that key star takes 90 seconds to execute, that means no one can do anything to Redis in 90 se- for 90 seconds, which is obviously a big problem. So in production, that's an enormous problem. There are similar commands like that um, with uh, for looking at sets. You could have a really large set. And, you know, if a set has like a million entries, there's a call S members, smembers, as I like to say it. And <laughs> smembers um, has that same problem. Uh, you can do the same thing with uh, hashes. You can do an hgetall. Hgetall will return all the values in a hash. If you have a really big hash, again, it's going to lock everything up. And so there are uh, there's scan and there's h scan and there's ss scan. And what they do is they let you paginate through the data and say, give me 10. Okay, now give me the next 10. Now give me the next 10. It takes you just as long to go through all of them, but it doesn't block the server in the same way. That's that's a common one. That's an easy one to do because when you're just doing little tiny things you know, in, in dev, it doesn't matter. Now, I'll break this rule for hgetall and smembers uh, specifically uh, if I know that my scope is small. Like if I'm using a, a hash as basically a record and I know that record has, you know, 15 columns, right? <laughs> uh, I, I just made air quotes for those who are listening to the podcast later. <laughs> um, then I'll go ahead and call hgetall because I know that I've built a thing that makes that safe. Got it. Got uh, it. So, so it's, it's not always, it's not a never, it's like anything, right? It always, it, it depends. And so those are, those are some of the things. I know we actually have a blog post on the seven worst things, uh, our worst practices for Redis. Yeah, no, no password being the the number one at the top there. Yeah, that's easy to do. <laughs> yeah, he actually says uh, this one also has number databases slash select that database thing I was talking about. Select is the command you use to switch between them. Gotcha, uh, so gotcha. Just don't use those. Yeah, uh, but there's the uh, another. This is a really good one actually. Here is number five on this blog post is one request per connection. So uh, open a connection, do a thing, throw it away. That's Redis isn't optimized for that. There are some clients, depending on your language, that use Redis that will do connection pooling for you. Like I spend a lot of time in JavaScript, and so I, I don't use connection pooling in JavaScript uh, because uh, JavaScript's going to have that single thread anyhow. The node is, and Redis has a single thread. So there's actually no benefit in having multiple connections because that connection is never going to be doing more than one thing at a time anyhow. And so um, you, you know, generally when I'm using Node, I create that connection and I just hang on to it for the entire life of the process. Like Clayton, I think my first experience with Redis was a couple of years ago, uh, starting out with a, a blog post or a tutorial following along with getting up and running with a Docker container. And it was very much, here are the, here are the commands that you need in development. By the way, don't use these commands going yeah. forward. <laughs> so like, oh, that's, that's so very helpful. Thank you. Well, it is, it, the, the bad thing is, is you develop a muscle memory for those commands and then it's just really easy to like just spit, you know, just a little machine gun, fire them out on your keyboard. And then you're like, oh, crap. So I think it'd be fun to have like a community driven game or something where I don't know, maybe you're searching for something. But if you pick up the wrong item, it does a flush and you lose and the entire community loses all progress. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why we don't let Clayton in charge of those games. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what else we we've talked about the the multiple purposes for redis and and the, the multiple uses are there other use cases that we haven't discussed yeah um so message queuing servicing communication kind of things there's a couple ways that that can work that are interesting like if you just want to build a basic queue i, I think there's some like there's some ruby libraries around this 
where you can just use a list as a queue. In fact, there's a there's a command that will pop a thing from one side of a, a list and then push it to the other side of another list. So you can send things to other queues and do that as one transaction in Redis. It's like uh, it's like B it's L pop right R. I, I can never remember the command. I always have to look it up, but it it's got this complicated L and R for left and right and then push pop and um and so if you want to use a list as a queue, it works really well. Because Redis is a t- all those transactions aren't a single thread, everything's atomic, and so that makes it a really safe thing to do. If you uh, want to go up another level, there's a pub sub available on Redis. And so you can, uh, it's it's a fire and forget listening, subscri- uh, posting, publishing, and subscribing service, right? So I, I can uh, say I publish an event with a particular name, you know. And then, uh, then I can I'll subscribe to events that have a particular pattern. So they start with like, you know, foo colon star. And anything that starts with foo colon, notify me of that. You can actually even turn on key space notification and it uses that same mechanism. So you can say, uh, uh, if any keys in this particular key space change, so like any key that starts with foo colon, uh, tell me when it changes. And then you can get no- notifications of changes to the, to the database itself as well. Um, and so you can use PubSub for that. PubSub is kind of cool because it, it lets you do uh, that. It's cross-process, right? So I'm connected from this machine and this machine here, and then, but I can still do publish of events and receive them on other machines. It even works with clustering, although there, there are scalability issues with clustering, whereas as you add clusters, um, the, the performance actually will eventually drop because the communication between them grows too quickly. Uh, but if you're usage is below those thresholds, which in many cases it will be, then that's a great way to spread out the load of everything else. You're spreading out your, your Redis instance anyhow, and so you can do pub sub across those those machines as well. So uh, that's another way. Uh, and then uh, the coolest way, uh, I think, <laughs> is uh, you can uh, Redis has streams. So uh, we have a streams type that's part of open source Redis. This isn't a module. And so you can publish to those streams and read from those streams and use that as like a, well, for anything you would use a stream for is, you know, just a a list of events. Uh, You can use that as a microservice, a bus for a microservice architecture. You can use that for, well, anything you'd use streams for. Yeah, that's super cool. I didn't know that. And actually some of the modules are cool because uh, with the streams, um, like the gears is the thing that lets you run arbitrary Python code on your instance, which can be safe depending on what you're doing. You just need to be careful. Uh, and so one of the, the, uh, things that in gears can do is it can monitor streams. And so whenever a new event happens on a stream, it triggers code that's running on your server and then can do other things. You know, it's like, well, when someone writes this message, just run this code that's running on Redis and update this key, put this value in this hash, that sort of thing. So Redis is like the ultimate dev tool. It can be a cache, a database, (laughs) a, a service bus. It can be, it has modules for like AI stuffs. Like it can be just about anything that you need as an assistance on the dev side. And then, you know, if you can get your company to deploy all those things, it can do the same thing on the, on the server side. I mean, the guy who created it is uh, Salvatore uh, San Filippo. So you can l- looking at his name, you can guess these, uh, he's, he's, a, I think he's Italian. I could be wrong. I, I hope he's not Sicilian. Uh, <laughs> and I got that wrong. Sorry. Uh, but uh, but look, look at all the things you do. You think he was Swiss, right? <laughs> Those knives are fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> so it does it does do a lot of things, which is kind of 
it is kind of like a Swiss Army knife. I really hadn't thought of that as a as an analogy until just now. But uh, yeah, I like that. You had mentioned the uh, Discord server that you run. Uh, yeah. Are there any additional resources that you might point our listeners to who are looking to get started with Redis and don't really don't really have a place to start? Uh, we, we we have a, a developer site at developer.redislabs.com. And so that's another place you can go to learn about Redis. Uh, if you want to learn the, the the page for open source Redis, is at redis.io. Uh, I go there because it's got a, like a, it's got a big document. It's got a, a thorough documentation of all the commands because there's hundreds of commands and I don't have them all memorized. Like I was looking through them the other day and I, I found this command called Stralgo. Stralgo. It's S-T-R-Algo, string algo. And what it is, is it allow you to run a string algorithm to measure uh, the um, LCS is the one algorithm it does right now, which is a like how different are these two strings? Mm-hmm. And then you can point it to two keys or you can just give it two hard coded strings and it will do a comparison there. So it, I'm like, I didn't even know that was there. <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, like there's like there's a uh, if you have a set, there's a S random or S rand. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. It will give you a random item from that set. Nice. Right. You know, so there's a million and one commands that you just don't realize are there. And so uh, Redis.io is a great resource for that. And then, um, you know, go to RedisLabs.com if you want to sign up for the uh, the free enterprise uh, account as well uh, and play around with that. Again, that's the easiest way to get up and running if you aren't really a Redis, if you're, if you're a Redis noob. You, you can get that up and running. Um, we've got a client called Redis Insight, which is a, a sort of a GUI client that will let you uh, – uh, talk to Redis just using raw Redis commands. So those are all good resources. And I'll, I'll make sure there's links uh, for all these things. I, d- I don't have all the links memorized off the top of my head. And <laughs> audio is not the best way to sh- share these things anyhow. What has been helpful in your career that you might share with those just getting started or those looking to level up their own careers? You know, you know, I actually get to ask that, that question quite a bit. Um, and I've got several pat pieces of advice I, t- I tend to give people. And so I'll, I'll trot one of those out right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's actually really good advice. So um, I think it is anyhow. Uh, maybe I'm biased. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, um, it's, it's the never stop learning advice, right? So, you know, before I took the job with Redis Labs, the uh, a person recruited out to me and I, I wasn't pursuing it immediately. And then later on, I, I pursued it. Uh, I looked at Redis and said, I hadn't looked at Redis, right? And I looked at it and I thought it was a cache. And so I had to learn that. Mm. And I've been writing software for quite a while. There's a reminder in there for younger developers and for newer developers who aren't, may not be young, but that um, no one knows what the heck they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> We're always all learning. And so, yeah, right. It's, it's, it's sort of the imposter syndrome thing. Like everyone talks about imposter syndrome. You feel like you don't know what's going on and everyone else does. And no one else knows what they're doing either. And we're all learning as we go. And that's just kind of part for the course. So never stop learning because it's actually just part of the job. Learning is part of the job. And don't don't get discouraged if you don't know a thing because uh, odds are there's others that don't know that thing. The people who know that thing didn't know it until they learned it. I I used to talk about this when I had pair program, uh, when I would coach pair programming. Um, I would say people go into pair programming, if they haven't done it, they're kind of anxious. They don't like it, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? Uh, I love it because I'm an extrovert and I'm like, yeah, I get to talk to people all day and write code. This is the best thing ever. Right. Uh, but a lot of people are like, oh, uh, but I became a programmer because I didn't like people all that much. <laughs> and they're introverts. And then they're like, and then it sort of violated that. But other people would go into that and they'd think, 
I'm going to go into this pairing session and I'm going to be revealed for the fraud that I am. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that, you know, that's that imposter syndrome. But the reason you feel that way, uh, the, the heart of imposter syndrome is that you're judging, you're comparing someone's outward appearance to how you know you are inside. So it's, it's an outside versus inside comparison, which is inaccurate. Um, because you you know what you don't know you know all the details you know all the uh, the dark corners and weird things that are in your brain uh, you, you know all that stuff you, you know all the nitty details about yourself and then but someone else comes out and they look shiny and and uh, polished on the outside and it's like well I could never be that person uh, and then you have to pair with them and it's un- uncomfortable um, it's kind of the same thing that social media does a little bit where uh, people present polished personas on you know, platforms like Instagram. And then everyone always feels bad because their life isn't as good as everyone's on Instagrams is. And it's like, well, no, they're just presenting a made up uh, as in putting makeup on, not as in manufactured version of their life. That's kind of uh, convoluted career advice, but I feel like it's important. Where can our listeners go to follow you and sort of keep up with what you're working on? So uh, I always appreciate a good follow on Twitter. Uh, My uh, Twitter ID is uh, you see here on stream. It's at Guy Royce. Um, and that's R-O-Y-S-E if uh, you're listening to this in audio, uh, not R-O-Y-C-E. That's uh, someone else. But the reality of it is, is that uh, there aren't very many people that have my name. And so if you just Google me, you find me. In fact, if you type my last name wrong into Google, it will uh, say, did you mean Guy Royce with an S? <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> Which I feel like is my best accomplishment in life. I mean, yeah, I've had kids and everything, but, you know, that's definitely it, right? <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so my user ID on almost every social media platform is at Guy Royce. So that you'll find if Twitter, uh, github.com slash Guy Royce, twitter.com slash Guy Royce. Um, and it, honestly, just type it in Google and you'll find all the stuff. I have GuyRoyce.com. I also have Guy.dev, but it just redirects to GuyRoyce.com. Guy, thanks so much. Really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I, I appreciate it. That was Guy Royce. Guy works for Redis Labs as a developer advocate combining his decades of experience in writing software with a passion for sharing what he has learned. Guy goes out into developer communities and helps others build great software. If you like this episode, please like, rate, and review on iTunes. Find show notes, blog posts, and more at sixfiguredev.com. Catch us live each week on Twitch and follow us on Twitter at SixFigureDev. This has been another episode of the Six Figure Developer Podcast, helping others reach their potential. I'm John Calloway. I'm Clayton Hunt. And I'm John Ash. 